before we get to the episode today, which itself is a bit of a treat coming to you from the Online Retailer Conference and Expo 2023, we have a special preview of the next episode of Big Ideas on the topic of generative artificial intelligence featuring business futurist Patrick Schwartfeger that was recorded at Big Commerce Partner Summit. You can find the full episode on Big Commerce's YouTube channel in the Make It Big playlist. Enjoy! There's the interesting thing with ChatGPT, and I'm sure you all have direct reports, so you can attest to this, that when, you know, when, you, when someone comes to you and they ask for direction, you give them direction, the beauty part of it in being a manager is that they go away because <laughs> they have to do it. They work on it. And now you've got some time to do your other things and work with other people on your team, and then they come back for further instruction. So, uh, and that's, that's something that, but with ChatGPT, it does it right away. It does it literally within seconds. And so one of the things you need is more of a management AI, which can manage the sequencing of those tasks. But it turns out that that's already been developed as well. And, and this is just one. There's many, but Auto, Auto uh, GPT, uh, uses ChatGPT to develop a sequence of events, and then it starts going down the list and having it do the individual tasks, and it adjusts the sequence of events based on how it's going so far. So this is moving really quickly. We already have, for example, uh, AI-generated fashion models. If you can believe it, you can pick any height, sex, gender, skin color, anything you like, uh, and it's all generated through AI. And then you've got GitHub, which, by the way, GitHub is the second largest repository of code in the world. The, number, the first one is Google. Google has just a huge landslide of code. Uh, but GitHub's number two. Even today, today, 41% of the code on GitHub has been generated with Copilot, which is a GPT app. Uh, and so what I encourage you to do is to think about this whole transition as essentially globalization 2.0. Uh, and, and so globalization 1.0, of course, was all about, it was about cheap labor, right? It was about outsourcing. It was about sending production to uh, Vietnam and China and the Philippines and Mexico, of course, and Colombia and, and India, right? That was the whole premise of globalization 2.0 or 1.0. 2.0 is all about knowledge workers. And, and so if there's one thing I want you to just really think about, with ChatGPT, you essentially have access to an unlimited number of knowledge workers. Think about what that means. For essentially free or close to free. You have access to an unlimited number of knowledge workers who, in totality, are smarter than everyone in this room. I mean, not on individual subjects, but in totality, ChatGPT is unbelievably intelligent. What would you do with that type of a resource? So we're going to see a productivity explosion. All right, welcome to session four, our second to last session for the day, for day two at Online Retailer. My name is Mal Chia, Managing Director of Ecom Nation, with my co-host Paul Waddy, my co-founder and Director of Paul Waddy Advisory. There goes the alert, someone's lost a puppy or something. And we are here at the Nora Online Retailer podcast stage. Brought to you by Invenco. And today for this session, we have joining us Jordan Sim, Senior Director, Product Management at Big Commerce, and Sasha Wilson, all the way from the UK, Senior Director, International Sales from Avalara. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks for having us. 
So we're going to be talking about going international, how to scale your tech stack for new markets. Um, but before we do that, I just want to start off, first of all, with a bit of an introduction for both of you. So Jordan, tell us a little about who you are and what do you do? Yeah, thanks, Mal. So I'm um, in the product team here at BigCommerce, based out of our Sydney office. Uh, been with us for 10 years, so really seen the big commerce story grow from what we used to be as a small to medium business platform to now being a SaaS platform for mid-market and enterprise retailers. So if you're looking, if you're a fast-growing brand, if you're looking to expand internationally, expand segments, whether you're going from B2C or B2B or vice versa, or even if you're a retailer with multiple brands, like we're the platform for choice for you. Yeah, great. And BigCommerce is very much uh, an Australian tech story, which uh, I, I don't think really gets the, um, the attention it, it deserves sometimes. It sort of flies on the radar. Everyone talks about the Alaskans of the world. No, that's right. We are Australian born and bred um, and obviously scaled and moved international. Uh, headquarters is now in Austin, Texas, but very much still have a very strong presence here in Australia with about 60 to 80 staff uh, across sales, marketing, uh, support and product and development. Fantastic. And Sasha? All the way flew in from the UK, just yep. for this, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great to be here. Yeah, thank Fantastic. you. Fantastic. So, Sasha, let's um, love to find out more, a little bit about you, where you're from, and, and a bit about Avalara as well. Yeah, sure. So, um, uh, I've been at Avalara for 10 years. Before that, I was at Amazon for 11 years, so I've got a big background in uh, e-commerce, retail. So, I was one of a very small team at Amazon to start with that launched Amazon's Marketplace. Um, and then we went on to, to build you know, quite a few uh, and launch quite a few um, Amazon programs. One of the key questions that always came up from Amazon sellers back in the day, which kind of leads me to why I'm at Avalara, is, is was around the tax. So you know, Amazon made it really easy for businesses to sell globally, but, but there was a lot of questions around tax. Opportunity came up with Avalara 10 years ago, uh, and I've been there since then. So we are a uh, tax compliance software business. We help companies understand where their tax obligations are when they're selling internationally, help them get registered, help them calculate the right taxes, and then help file them as well. So it's a whole end-to-end -end tax process. Full disclosure, Paul and I often will talk to people about some of our favorite Shopify apps. And if you're selling internationally, we always say Avalara. Wow. So That's I'm just going to be totally transparent there. Like we have are, a referral program? Yeah, we're, we're, we're both <laughs> big fans. We can sign you up to the referral. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so international tax compliance, it's not, some, it's not a particularly sexy topic. But why is it so important? for retailers to make sure that they're thinking about that? Yeah, it's it's often an afterthought, okay? You know, businesses that are selling internationally, they'll, they'll look at their marketing, they'll look at logistics, they'll look at payments. Many times, you know, we hear the story of, you know, we'll deal with, deal with the taxes afterwards, after the fact, and it's just not a wise move, right? It, it can, you know, typically, you know, a lot of businesses that we come have come across have been trading in several countries. US is a, is a particular problem point, and maybe we can talk about that a bit later as well, but. Uh, retailers have been trading in the US for a few years, they've been audited, um, and then they've got a big backlog of not only tax they've got to owe, but penalties, interest, and it just gets really, really, you know, uh, it affects that, uh, the bottom line. That's, that's, the, that's the tax nexus you're talking about. Tax nexus, yeah, yeah, so yeah, nexus, wow. I mean, uh, I could talk for hours on sales tax, <laughs> I don't want to hijack the whole What's meeting. The, uh, what, what are the cliff notes about, because I think a lot, of, a lot of retailers listening here uh, would be thinking about expanding into the US. Matter of fact, like half the retailers Paul and I talk to always talk about some sort of US tax exp uh, um, expansion strategy. But the one bit they don't really think about is tax. And when we bring that up, they norm you normally get this blank look on their faces about, well, why should we care about that? We've never had paid tax there. And we're like, how much have you sold into there? 
That's exactly right. Yeah. So there's a bit of a misconception that if you're in Australia or you know way away from the US that you don't have to pay sales tax, and that's not true. So um, there are two types of nexus. Nexus is a, an obligation to register and pay sales tax. One is physical. So if you have inventory in the US, if you're using maybe Amazon's fulfillment program or you've got uh, you know stock in a warehouse. You automatically have nexus in that state and you have to file, register and file sales taxes. The other one is economic nexus. So that's really like a distance sales threshold. So once you trigger, uh, and it varies state by state, this is where it gets really complex. It's not just one rule for every, uh, for all of the US. Every state, county has its own different rules. But if you, it could be 200 units of stock into uh, sales into a state, it could be $100,000 of, of, of sales. Once you trigger those, you have to register for sales tax, calculate the right taxes on those transactions, and then file them. No one's doing it, though. <laughs> um, but they should. They should. Why was it so difficult? Like, selling into the UK, for instance, everybody wants to sell into the UK. Why is it so complicated? I think Avalara is a, is a solution that um, we're here to talk to you about. So many... Uh, retailers would think that the right thing to do is just go, oh, I'm just going to send stock there. I, I need a 3PL there. I can't handle the collection of taxes and duties. Um, can you, the way you explained the US was probably the best explanation of US tax that I've, I've heard. Can you do the same for the UK, please? And, um, and tell us how you're solving that. And, and I, I think maybe why retailers shouldn't necessarily think you must start with boots on the ground. Like you, you can't actually handle taxes and duties as an Australian and selling to the UK, can't you? Yeah, you can. So things have changed a little bit in the UK, you know, with Brexit, with, you know, some, some you know, different different rule changes across Europe as well. Um, it's still a little bit complex. It's still not, not quite as easy. And I think I've, I've heard from a lot of, you know, retailers here today that they're just still, off, you know, put off by, by selling in, in, into the UK. Um, but essentially, um, there's, there's, you know, once you start selling shipping goods from Australia to customers in the UK, once you hit a threshold of £85,000, you need to be registered for the VAT. Um, if you're selling goods into Europe, that's slightly different. There is um, a one-stop shop that's been set up, so it's, it's a bit complicated. It's a non-union one-stop shop is what, what you'd need to do. You effectively pick one country in the European Union. That's where you register for VAT, and that's where you would collectively collect all your VAT that you're selling across the European Union and file it into that country on a quarterly basis. So what is, what's interesting is you also mentioned Avalara did a filing as well. So how are you guys, can you explain for anyone who's listening that doesn't actually know what Avalara does, could, could you give us the rundown on how you're making it easier for retailers? Yeah, yeah. So so there's 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 different elements of, of, of the compliance journey. You know, there's you know, calculating the right HS codes to, to, so you can get your shipments through duties. There's calculating the tax or the duty in the checkout or whichever platform. And then it's actually getting that tax revenue to the tax authorities, the filing. And again, it varies country by country in the states. It varies state by state. Um, but we have, you know, we've got solutions that help automate that for customers so they don't need to be, you know, filling out forms manually you know, sending out checks to different tax authorities, we can automate that process behind the scenes. And you're handling the checkout component of that as well, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd say from an e-commerce platform perspective, certainly for a lot of the US retailers, or even Australian retailers that break out into the US, our first choice of recommendation is Avalara. I think there's something around 12,000 or more jurisdictions? 13,000 jurisdictions. 13,000? There we go. 
And so just being able to have Avalara ready out of the box, when you're just thinking about international expansion into a brand new market and having the ease, having the headache taken away of tax and you just want to focus on selling, we definitely uh, partner very well. I think eight years has been our partnership with Avalara and um, still going strong. Yep. Jordan, what, what, what are some tips from, um, you'd see a lot of online retailers um, in your role and over the years, I'm sure you would have seen heaps try and export. What, what, what would be your tips on um, for an online retailer based in Australia looking to, to export? Is it is it achievable? I mean, I see a lot of retailers succeed overseas. Probably roughly 20% of the revenue that I work with goes internationally. What are some tips that, that you would offer for uh, online retailers tuning in? Yeah, what we've heard from a lot of the uh, retailers that we've spoken to is first selecting a, a market that actually may be easier to penetrate. And what we've learned from easier penetration, a lot of that's around the Anglosphere. So if you think about language as being a big barrier for entry, starting with a market that is more familiar with English is actually a quicker way to start. Uh, besides that, then it's about really isolating the different product lines that you're really interested in, pulling on some of the analytics data to say, well, where have you seen organic growth where you may not have actually invested before? What are those lines? What are they performing and how are they performing in those markets? And then ultimately looking at payments and currency, right? You need to facilitate that transaction. Are you doing it in local currency? Are you adjusting for Forex? Looking at local payment methods that shoppers are actually familiar with in terms of brand recognition and trust. They're just some of the considerations for uh, some of the retails that we've seen move from Australia overseas. What about in terms of the on-site experience? You know, there's when would you look to just roll out a single global site versus when would you look to localize your site experience a little bit more? Yeah, that's a great question. So what we've seen in particular with the segment of merchants that we serve, which is really around mid-market and enterprise, a lot of them are immediately just going out with a localized experience. And traditionally, the way that they've done that is by being able to spin up multiple stores. And that's quite a common story for most e-commerce platforms. Set up another backend, load your inventory or duplicate your inventory, duplicate your catalog, do all the catalog, oh, do all the settings again. Uh, the journey that we've been on taking a lot of the retailer stories is actually they want a singular backend. And so we've been on a journey for the past three to five years where we've really looked at a way of allowing for you to just in one click set up another store, another actual storefront. You can localize that. You can apply the appropriate SEO, appropriate uh, URLs, you can customize your payments, your shipping, your tax solutions, um, all from a single backend. Yeah, great. And in terms of then, what tips would you have around optimizing that front end then, that shop front to make sure that it is appealing to, the, to those customers in that country? Yeah, I mean, there are so many facets on the shop front. You know, you can start from your domain structure. You can start even looking at the actual merchandising and product content, is that localized in the right language? Are you using the right terminology within that language in that uh, country? You know, chinos are very different to trousers, mm -hmm. or jocks are different to undies, or flip-flops are different to the other word. So it's really about making sure that you have the localized uh, content. And at the end of the day, it's about establishing that trust with the shopper and making sure that they feel familiar with that shopping experience. So localized currencies, making sure that you have the localized payments in place. What about the carriers, right? There are thousands of shipping carriers all around the world, each that specialize either in um, international uh, fulfillment, some that specialize in very hyper-regionalized fulfillment. Mm -hmm. You wanna make sure that you're really signaling to the shopper that you have that local presence 
or at least their local knowledge and awareness that makes it really easy for them to ultimately purchase in. Yeah, great. And you talked before about you know the, the, the traditional way being, I've got another country I want to expand into, I'm going to launch a shop front, a whole store with a brand new back end, I've spit up a new instance of it. But now you're talking about being able to manage multiple shop fronts from the single back end. What opportunities does that open up? You know, what benefits are there for a retailer to, to suddenly be able to have that, to be able to just manage everything just from one back end? So looking at the stories that we've had, uh, a lot of this came down to uh, a couple of different factors. So if you're a retailer that wants to experiment or launch in a new market, you have the convenience to be able to do that. You have a single back end, your catalog, your inventory is already available. You just need to pop open the new storefront. You have payments that you can customize, different shipping tax solutions as well. And you know, even thinking about tax here, you may be coming from a VAT or a GST based market that looks totally different to a US sales tax market. But you have all of the apps, everything that you've configured on your store, that's ready to go for when you spin up a new channel. So along with Avalara, like any, any, what, what, what would your ideal app stack be to start off with if you're looking to expand internationally? I mean, and Sasha, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. Oh wow, okay, <laughs> on the spot, on the spot. I mean, I think it, it will really depend on the market that you are trying to penetrate. Like if we just take US here as a great example, um, thinking about a lot of the different uh, marketing apps, right? I'll just start with one of the partners that's on the floor, Clavio, right? That's a great automated marketing solution. Yacht Co as well. Uh, search and merch on the front end. You wanna be considering a great uh, search and merch experience on that. Uh, in terms of payments, I think it's without doubt PayPal is one of the most recognized uh, payment facilitators around the world. But here we have Afterpay in Australia. I know that they've broken out into the US as well. Uh, but you have other buy now, pay later solutions like Affirm over there. So it's really about finding the right localized, regionalized players in those markets. I'd say the tier one players uh, and making sure that they're available. Yeah. Sasha? Yeah, let me, let me jump on that. So, you know, from, from our own perspective, we are we are partner ag agnostic. So we, we have built our solution into, you know, over 1,200 different platforms. So you think about where a transaction takes place, econ platform, uh, billing system, accounting software. Um, you know, we, we are agnostic. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, do we have a, a, a preference? No. You know, and again, it's down to the individual retailers, um, you know, their business model, the countries they're going to payment options that are available to those. There might be some preferred shipping methods in certain countries that might not be available. So it really depends on the individual uh, customer. You know, there are other options. You know, there are merchant of record businesses out there that kind of consolidate some of these and offer a, an off-the-shelf solution, which might suit some customers. But, you know, certainly what we see is, you know, when, when retailers get to a certain size, they absolutely want to start taking control of their own logistics companies, their own logistics uh, payments offerings and just um, you know, offer that themselves directly. Um, Sasha, I want to ask you uh, anecdotally, uh, what, what you tend to see in um, online retail is uh, when taxes and duties aren't handled correctly, um, the repeat purchase rate is significantly lower. That, that's how it appears to be. Um, is that what your experience tells you as well? Yeah, I don't think I've come across a single customer who's enjoyed receiving a, uh, a, a good um, with a customs 
you know, bill on there saying you've got to pay this to receive these goods. You yeah, know? so then um, that's a big debate as well is yeah. like um, DDU versus DDP, you know, d delivering duties paid or delivering duties unpaid. Retailers always arguing about that. What's your take on that? So we, we, we do recommend DDP, you know, that's, that's the, you know, it provides the optimal customer experience. Um, you know, the software that we have helps retailers offer that, that choice. So if they wanted to, um, you know, present the customer with, here's, here's the price you're gonna pay now and here's what the additional duty is gonna be. So they can expect to pay that upfront, okay? They're giving the customer that, that choice. They're probably not gonna go ahead and purchase it. But it's far better to actually build that duty into the price of the customers paying the final landing cost, so they don't get a surprise. That's a good tip. So you would you reckon probably maybe just eliminate the choice, cover the duty, and Absolutely. just bake it into your cost. Definitely, hundred percent. We're about to enter Q4, cyber cyber week, cyber month, cyber two months, whatever it's going to be this year. So cyber quarter, probably. Let's let's face it. Where do retailers start, particularly if they're looking to, to expand internationally and expecting to really push into some of those international markets this, this peak period? Like, where would you start with this? So, Jordan, I'll throw to you. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, from some of the recent conversations that we've had, it really starts with, uh, I think, the planning cycle first. So, what we're observing both here in Australia as well as internationally, yes, you have the established blocks of the Cyber Week, over in the US, you can extend that with Thanksgiving. Over here, you have obviously the Boxing Day sales, but sales promotions and discounts are actually creeping earlier in the in the in the, in the quarter. So I actually really liked how you describe that as a like a cyber or a sales quarter, rather than what has traditionally been a condensed shorter window. With that, a lot of the planning then comes down. I'm to, old enough to remember when Black Friday was just Black, Black Friday. Friday, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And then it moved to Cyber Monday. We have Cyber Five, and then it just keeps on rolling and rolling. So with that rolling calendar and with the sales um, calendar actually creeped me up earlier in the year. I think in particular with where we're at from a macroeconomic perspective, we're actually seeing a lot more tighter conversations that are now happening between sales marketing and finance. I think everybody wants to try and go after top line growth, but some of the conversations that we're seeing is really like don't force a top line growth, but be much more uh, attuned and sensitive to your margins. Have you been listening to Paul and I? my videos. You've been watching this <laughs> podcast. It, I mean, it's in the water. I think everyone's really putting on a brave face, but realistically, you want to be real realistic in this period. That's great. And one of big commerce's um, pillars, I think you said, was um, expand, expansion. Can you tell us what that means and why the focus on expand for how, and how big commerce is helping brands to expand? Yeah. So. BigCommerce has five key pillars, um, and really a lot of them speak to what you need as a retailer. You know, the ability to engage your customers on your storefronts or on your various channels, the ability to attract more, so whether you want to attract them through social channels or marketplaces, right? We acknowledge that an online store is just one channel, but you're going to be able to sell on various different channels, Amazon as, as one example. Um, you want to convert them, right? If you think about why do we exist as a business? Existentially, it's all about conversion. It's really about helping them grow their businesses online. There's a operational component, right? May not necessarily be the sexiest part of it, but really it's about running your business, running your business efficiently and running it well. Um, and there's a fifth uh, pillar, but when we talk about expand specifically, where we've positioned ourselves as a business, really wanting to serve the mid-market and enterprise, 
we're seeing larger and larger businesses that have different dimensions, those that need to actually scale their business. They've reached a domestic level of concentration and now they actually want to break out into growing their brand overseas. So that's really around expanding internationally. The second area is really around uh, moving uh, into a different segment. And so we've seen a lot of B2C retailers dabble their feet within B2B. Or a great example, if you look at it vice versa, we saw online boom over COVID, right? Absolutely unprecedented levels. A lot of B2B business, which was previously done offline, actually they woke up and they said, hey, there's something here. There's something here in terms of online. So we've seen a lot of actual uh, offline B2B retailers come online and we're here to help them expand. And then uh, last but not least, you may be a retailer that's actually running a multi-conglomerate of different brands. You wanna have that streamlined backend. So if you, have different, um, if you have different brands, you're now able to expand. And so we've been on the journey, as I said a little bit earlier for the past three to five years where we really did a lot of heart transplant surgery across our platform to really make sure that once previously, which was always easy to do, you could spin up a separate backend but we wanted to really make sure that we had the convenience. So if you want to be able to bring multiple apps, multiple partners, if you just want to be able to whip up a brand new storefront channel or through our acquisition of Feedonomics, if you want to actually sell online through social channels or marketplaces, we have that ready for the retailer. What's your main selling feature? So for me, is it conversion rate? Is it repeat purchase rate? When you go in with this solution, what's the... What's the carrot for the, um, I spoke earlier about the fact that duties and taxes is a massive barrier to bringing a customer back. Is it, do you also see conversion rate uplift when you are transparent with duties and taxes or is this mostly about retention, do you reckon? I think it's mostly about, about retention. You know, I think, I think you know, when you know, a customer is looking at you know, choosing you know, an e-com platform, you know, they're gonna be choosing one that, that, that does you know, as many as many um, services as it, as it can, you know, rather than having separate providers. You know, and the big commerce solution is fantastic, you know, because the, the, the tax and duties is, is inbuilt. So it's not a separate integration that the customer would, 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 would really need to, to drive. Um, they just need to kind of connect that up. Um, but yeah, typically, yeah, we see that, we see that, that driving retention and just, you know, optimizing the customer service more than anything else. And, and from an Avalara point of view, um What's next on your, your roadmap? Like over the next five years or so, what's the, the we've heard of the, the, the big commerce pillars. What, what, what's Avalara really doubling down on? So, you know, Avalara's story has been, you know, we've been around for about 20 years. Um, we have a very strong partner-led uh, methodology, which has led to us having, you know, these 1,200 or so integrations that we've built up over time. So that's going to be, that's going to carry on. We will carry on building integration to platforms wherever transactions are taking place. At the same time, we're going to be building out our tax content. So we were born in the US. That's why we got some very heavy sales tax content there. We built out uh, VAT content across Europe. You know, we've been, uh, you know, APAC is is an area of growth. We've got a team in India. We've developed some India GST um, content and expertise. Same in Brazil. You know, these are all very complex countries that have very, very, very weird and wonderful tax regimes. Which, you know, having you know an integration into Avalara actually helps you to you know mine those a lot a lot a lot easier china's probably going to be an area of focus at some point i mean that's incredibly complex but again you know it's just been a matter of time until we get there but that's going to be an area Thirteen thousand tax jurisdictions jurisdictions 
a lot of retailers who have possibly quite a lot of unpaid back taxes. What is the worst case which you have experienced? So, I mean, there are numerous stories, and I'm not seriously, I'm not going to mention mention names, but you know, come there, on, there, there are, uh, you know, there are. So let's just put it this way. So. It's a tax authority in the US, a state, a state can actually approach a retailer um, and if they find them to be owing tax, they can go back 10 years or more. So it's, it's, you know, they can recoup taxes for a long period of time. The taxes themselves are not the only thing that needs to be paid. There'll be penalties. The penalties can be maybe 50% on top of that plus interest. So, you know, you could be looking at multi-million pound paybacks, you know. Um, but is there, there are. Is there a dollar figure you can give us in terms of like a, a particular hyenas case? Oh, some of these are like two, three, ten million. You know, it's it's crazy. But you know, I think one of the other stories to get across is the the responsibility of paying that tax doesn't just end when a CFO leaves a business. So you know, we've seen a couple of examples of this of a CFO um, at a retailer that hadn't been paying their sales tax there. They then move on to a different company. They are then trying to register for tax. They get denied because they are associated of having worked at another business in the past. So that is called a responsible person um, uh, treatment. Wow. S- sticks with that person, that head of finance, that CFO, wherever they travel. So, yeah, there have been a few stories of that happening. As so well. if that does happen, could a retailer just simply just stop, refuse to pay the tax and just stop selling into that state? Well, this this is it. This is this is the retailer's decision at the end. You know, they, they're faced with a decision of either... You know, we've built up this sizable business, significant uh, revenues coming in from this state or from this country. Do we switch it off, or do we, or do we actually, you know, re- repay that? You know, there are some amnesties available to retailers, which actually limit that look back. So they did so something called voluntary disclosures. So we can help. That's another service we can offer. It helps retailers approach states to say, look, we think we might have some back tax liability we can help rectify that we'll limit that look back to maybe three or five years instead of the 10 or the 15 mm-hmm. um, and we can also kind of negotiate on some of those penalties and fees as well so we can do a, a retrospective project to fix things and then use the t- technology to automate things moving forward i got a question for you so, yeah so there's probably one we've heard um, <clears throat> from retailers a fair bit so i'm a let's say i'm an online retailer in australia and i'm selling into the states i've been selling there for a few years doing in the millions in revenue through the states, selling to all of the states, you know, maybe West Coast predominantly. I don't have a 3PL, I, don't have a, I haven't registered a business over there. Do I need to pay sales tax? You've been shipping goods from Australia yes. to customers in the US. Yes. No physical presence in the US. No, no okay. 3PL, nothing. So it will boil down to the volume of goods that you're selling, the volume of units that you're selling and the and the value of, of those. So again, there's different thresholds state by state. If you sold over, I don't know, $5 million worth of, uh, sorry, $500,000 worth of goods into California, you'll need to register. It could be $200,000 worth of goods into Washington state. It could be 100 units. In Let's say California, okay? There's yeah. heaps of Aussies selling into California. Doing three, four million a year, dollars a year in California. Out of, out of Australia, I, I, I need to register. Yes, California. absolutely. <clears throat> so for sales tax? For sales tax, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, tax authorities are 
clever. You know, they're, they're, they're facing some severe budget deficits after COVID. Yeah, well, COVID that, well and we're seeing that years. here as well. So, so what what is the risk for those that are turning a blind? We've just been talking about this, but I'm, I'm, there's a lot turning a blind eye to this. Saying, oh, that's why I'm not registering in the states, so I don't have to pay tax. But what you're saying is, if you're at that threshold, you've got to pay it anyway. What's the risk? Like, you know, how how, how likely are <laughs> Uh, you'd be caught if you're caught. What's the risk you yeah, face? I mean, look, it varies on on each business and their model. But you know, um, you know, we've seen instances of um, tax authorities uh, doing some mystery shopping on websites, <laughs> and you know, finding goods that have been that have been sent through, and then and then approaching them to say, oh, okay, we think we think you should owe, owe some sales tax here. There's some that might even be attending trade shows, and they'll just get an exhibitor list or or visitor list. And start pulling people down to try and find activity that might be happening in certain states. How far back can they go? I mean, look, there's there's only X amount of tax auditors and you know so many businesses, but you know they'll probably be prioritising the bigger ones and the bigger brands. But you know, we yeah, it does happen. Tax audits. I, do happen. I think you spoke about you know Avalara also kind of educating people. That 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 is a common misconception. At least here. Absolutely. I, I, I think, and I said it earlier, the, the vast majority of online retailers that I see selling into the States well above those thresholds are not paying a dollar in tax. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't know they're supposed to. They don't know they're supposed to, and it just boils down to the level of risk that they're, that they're willing to take, you know, and how serious they are about the US as, you know, an area that they want to do business and continue doing business. There you go. Yeah. Hello. Um, would you say that that risk is increasing for those reasons you said before, where you know the revenue tax revenue is drying up, so they're looking for more opportunities to recoup some yeah, revenue? Absolutely. Yeah, you've got you've got um, you know state tax authorities, you know you know actually hiring more people to try to try and mm. find this this missing revenue. You've got marketplaces. So a lot of businesses done through marketplaces. You've got um, uh, tax authorities have actually force the likes of Amazon and eBay to divulge the the contact details of all the sellers on their platforms to then that they can then approach. that was my next question so in terms of marketplaces you know, where the platform doesn't touch the product at all who bears the tax liability the seller so there's been some new legislation passed marketplace facilitator legislation it varies a little bit country by country but certainly in the US um, only recently that, that that responsibility is now on the marketplace to um, calculate and file the taxes based on all the sales on its platform. Mm. So then it makes it a little bit easier for a tax authority to mm. approach one, you know, there's one throat to choke rather than <laughs> millions, right? And prior to this, we uh, we had a conversation with uh, with, with, with Kristen Core and Costa Coolis from DesignerX. So they have DesignerX, which is a peer-to-peer dress rental platform in the case of rentals would this apply to rentals so potentially mm-hmm. um so for rentals um yes at leasing it's it's essentially who who owns the title to those goods so a you know in in that that example that or is it they're renting sorry that's dresses dresses so peer to peer dresses so you know so jordan cover dress yep. i've got a dress we're we're both in arizona he lends me a dress and yeah. i pay him 100 bucks for it and so you know, it would boil down to who owns title to that dress mm. and which states it is residing in. So that could create a physical presence in the states where it's being rented out to. Right. 
Interesting. Yeah. So this, we're in this is why you need Avalara. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is complex. Yeah. It's extremely complex. Look, and then I like I, I implemented Avalara. You know, my, technically my team implemented Avalara, but it was something where it's like we need this. There's an absolute need for us as we grow and we start scaling up in the US. Now, Jordan, in terms of like um, some of these things, will will uh, like what. What Sasha's saying, you know, when businesses are kind of unaware of, of this when it happens, how can big commerce surface some of these you know, issues, I guess, for retailers before they become a, a problem? Particularly if they don't understand, no, even know the problem exists. Yeah, so I think education is actually a big piece. We, we definitely push out education to make sure that our retailers, whether they're existing or prospect retailers, actually are aware of this. Now, if you, if you look at the actual implementation cycle, Tax is always an afterthought, right? What's the first thing that most retailers want to get their hands on straight away when you move to an e-commerce platform? It is money. What is my money? <laughs> yes, definitely. And and money, the precursor before that is the storefront. Yep. What does that look like? Is that really looking the way that I want it to? Mm. So education's a big one. The second thing is, like, I'm very proud of our sales team. That's one of the key things that we've internally talked about where you got to talk about those gotchas up front. Right, because it's going to hurt not only the retailer but the, their trust in the e-commerce platform itself. If you're not being able to have those conversations and being very frank, and also explaining why, in the case of the United States in particular, why they, why it's actually worth investing in a solution like Avalara when you're trying to go live in a market like that. Jordan, um, coming back to you um, from a with your your big commerce hat on, you've been in e-commerce for a while. What what's um. What's exciting for you on the horizon, not just for big commerce, but in e-commerce generally? What's, uh, what, what have you got your eye on? Yeah, look, I think the biggest, and it's the most topical thing right now, I don't want to be too generic, it is going to be AI. Um, but arguably, what's really interesting is you look at a lot of the e-commerce platforms out there who, for a longest period of time, have invested very heavily in their own models. But now you're seeing actually a lot of open source models come out as well. And so you've got to ask yourself, well, that 10 years of investment, now that's being open source, that's where the competitors are. So if you sort of then extrapolate that going forward, the key question is, well, where is the real value in a lot of these AI solutions for commerce platforms? Is it actually behind the scenes, not at the model level itself, but actually at the data level? And then how do you string a lot of that together to not only just be a generative AI bland vanilla solution, but actually something that brings all of the data on your platform together to actually enable action. So Senior Director of Product Management, AI is obviously part of your thinking right now. Yep. How is BigCommerce, is BigCommerce currently using AI within the platform and, is it, and, and then is it actually also exposed to merchants as well to be able to leverage? Yeah, so we're very fortunate. Uh, back in 2021, we acquired a company called Feedonomics. Um, and if you look at the Royzen brothers and their families, a lot of them actually have a lot of uh, background in mathematics, science, and AI. So we've brought them not only for their expertise and speciality in marketplace and social channel integrations, but actually to be able to bring in some of the AI expertise within our uh, business and within our product. Um, coming back to, um, to you, Sasha, does Avalara ident... I mean, you're obviously from the UK. You've flown over here. You watching the cricket? Watching a little bit of the cricket. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does Avalara see Australia as a um, as an emerging market, or how seriously do do, do you guys overseas take us the Australian e-commerce uh, industry? Yeah. So, I mean, 
the fact we're here, I think, I think, kind of says says something about how serious we are. You know, we we have seen, you know, naturally about 14, 15% of our revenue into the EMEA, the international business coming from Australian, New Zealand businesses. And that's through companies finding us. So as companies searching about sales tax, trying to find out how to handle it and then coming to us mainly. Um, so we, yeah, we're fully invested in here. You know, this is our first physical trade show here. We're going to do a couple more trade shows over the course of the year. I think we're potentially looking at putting people on the ground somewhere in this region because, you know, to serve the number of customers we have here, you know, I think we found it incredibly valuable here just being in person, just speaking to some of our partners in person. Um, you know, that's 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 certainly a dynamic that I think I think works well in this region. So I think, yeah, that's, I think we're going to be serious about doing more here. Yeah, and I think from, um, uh, you know, Mal said earlier, we, we, we always mention Avalara because there's not many people that do it well, right? But uh, I think the overwhelming thought um, around taxes and duties is, is very little education. Um, is, is that something that maybe we could see, expect a little more of from Avalar actually teaching, like what, what you've just said about the US, I, I guarantee most people listening to this will, yeah. will be like, oops. <laughs> so, yeah, no, so look, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're learning, we're learning about, about this market, we know, the, you know the, the conversations we've been having today, you know, we'll actually be catching up with you, I think a little bit more after this to get, to get your input on this, but I absolutely think they have to, you know, we will be leading a bit more with the education piece, kind of, ex no one's going to be looking at spending money on a tax engine if they don't realise there's a problem to fix. Exactly. So I think that's what we need to try and do a little bit better, better job of. And particularly, like, going back to your point earlier, Jordan, about the fact that there is an appetite for Australian products, for Australian brands overseas, particularly in, in the Anglosphere, as you said before, you know, whether United States, United Kingdom, there is an appetite, there is a demand for Australian brands. So as that continues to grow, that problem is probably going to get magnified more in the coming years. I mean, I also think it's just um, when you think about our, our model here, it's a flat rate tax. So it's very simple, very easy to digest. But it's really having that awareness of like 13,000 jurisdictions. I think some of those rates can even change monthly. That's right. It's a very different beast. And so I like going back to your question a little bit earlier, Paul, like I even wonder if it's partly cultural, just with like the fact that we are a flat rate uh, tax system here. I know you've got VAT over in the UK and EMEA. Brexit adds in the extra complexity there. But culturally, I think we are, like we were talking about this a little bit earlier, I think a lot of Australians are willing to give it a go and sometimes miss a couple of things as part of having that very experimental culture and willing to just push the boundaries a bit more. EU, on the other hand, heavily regulated, right? GDPR, even though it's a flat rate tax system, there's a lot more policing and awareness, education, sensitivity towards that. So can I, can I just add on that? You know, I tell you what has been quite encouraging is, you know, some of the conversations we've been having over the last couple of days, there's a lot of retailers out here who have only been focused on domestic and they're thinking about selling internationally. And it's actually quite refreshing to hear their thought process. They're looking at logistics, you know, how do they do it? They're actually thinking ahead. We think we might have some tax issues. We want to get our heads around that first before we go there. So I think, I don't know whether that's just a, a, a changing dynamic, but we certainly had some good conversations around that. I think there's definitely hesitation. Um, we also face the challenge of distance here. Australia is so far away, but the world's getting getting smaller. And I, I think you're right. I think uh, a lot of brands are trying to at least investigate how how easy or hard it is to sell overseas. Um, Jordan, are you are you seeing the same with your merchants? Like, do, do you think it's um, you know merchants are starting to have a little look across borders more than they were before? Is that something that at Big Commerce you're actively trying to help facilitate? 
Yeah, definitely. So like everything that we've talked about around cross-border trade, what are the actual inputs that you need? Things like HS codes, being able to classify your products correctly. We've made sure that it's baked into our platform. So that's like ready to go. We are seeing a lot more uh, toe dipping. And I think a lot of that has come, you know, partially as a result of COVID again. Like a lot of fulfillment systems and networks were put under a lot of stress, but they've also learned how to scale. A lot of brands in Australia, to your point, Mal, they're excellent brands. I was just having dinner with my cousins and White Fox, massive demand over in the States. They live over in San Francisco. There is so much demand in that band and that age group where they're just trying to buy online Australian retailer products mm -hmm. and it's just harder to get over there. So I think there's a massive appetite. The world has woken to our amazing retailers here down under and it's really about reaching back out and being able to service those markets in a tax compliant manner, but also in a margin friendly way too. Fantastic. Sasha, Jordan, thank you very much for your time.